You should just record like the first few laps. Right, are we ready? Cal, don't... Okay, so Cal, you're, you're ahead. Tell us when your lights go out, yeah? Lights out. Big accident. Fire. Oh, oh my God. Oh! 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 Oh, sh- oh, mate. Oh, dear. Who was it? Who was it? Who was it? Oh, dear. That was huge. That was... Um, oh, God, I've never seen anything like that ever. Not even in sport. In anything. Who's trying to think? Oh, my God. That was unbelievable. Right, let's call this recording. Let's kill this, man. Is he okay? Is he okay? Welcome along to the Cut to the Race podcast. Um, this is being recorded just just as the checkered flags come out in Bahrain. And um, well, it, not only was it a long a long day for F1 fans, but um, a bit of an emotional one. So we're, we're all feeling a bit raw here. Um, rather than the usual chirpy cells that you're used to, but we're going to give it a go anyway. Um, I'll introduce the panel that we've got today. We have got Callum with us hello sir how are you hello i'm really good today well apart from the obvious but yeah solid good. day brilliant fantastic matt you are here as as uh, as normal really utterly and completely emotionally exhausted and we also have will he's back hello yes yes very excited to talk about uh, a few few various things today yeah been an interesting one. So it was um, it was unexpected. I, I thought this race was going to be potentially a little boring. Um, we spoke about it last week, didn't we? But it 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 started it started with a little bit of a, a surprise. Who who wants to talk about what they thought of this? Because I, I'm uh, conscious it's it was a bit of a shock. I think um, just just for context, we were all on Zoom actually at the time watching it together for the for actually the first time we watched a race together. And uh, yeah. We, we, we decided to turn it off. Um, Cal, I'm going to give this one to you. Yeah, I mean, obviously on the Zoom call we were watching together, you three were actually delayed on the, the various things you were watching it on. So obviously I saw it first and I actually just went, oh God, fire. And that was the only thing I said. And you guys were like delayed and then you all saw it. And I, by the time you lot had seen it, I was just sat there like hand over mouth, couldn't comprehend what had just happened. It was absolutely horrific. Um, obviously, we're all so glad he's okay. But, man, I've never seen anything like that live. That was scary. That's scary to see. It, yeah. Has anyone got the latest on his condition? Shall I evaluate this quickly for the fans who may have not have seen the, the race, heaven forbid, or know what we're talking about here? So before we sort of go into it, does anyone have uh, the latest as it stands? As I said, it's just after the race. It's about 5.30 UK. Um before we talk about what what our take on this, yeah, I, I believe uh, Roman Grosjean is currently in a military hospital in Bahrain, uh, not not too far, I believe, from the racetrack. He was taken there in a helicopter um, very very shortly after uh, the the incident. He is said to be suffering from a few minor burns, according to a team uh, a team press release, 
And uh, I believe uh, the possibility of broken ribs as well um, is something that he's being treated for. So uh, painful, no doubt, um, and very, very scary for him. But thankfully, uh, nothing major, which is just brilliant. Uh, brilliant, but, but but unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Um, before we go through what actually happened, I'll just say I, I thought when it happened, it was uh, it was game over. I, re- I had absolutely no doubt in my mind that was... That was it. So, um, Cal, let, do you want to just uh, say 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 what what happened? Yeah, and just to add on to what you said, Ollie, I do think judging by what happened, that was his last drive. Unfortunately, I can't see him recovering enough to get in the seat for the last two races, especially if he does have broken ribs. Um, so, I, I should imagine that was Roman Grosjean's last drive in F one. Um, but yeah, what happened? Um, I can't exactly think what turn it was. I think they came out of turn three. Going lap one straight. Yeah, it's obviously the first lap. We've only been going for about 20, 30 seconds. And there's been a bit of a kerfuffle in front of Grosjean. Now, he's tried to cut across to avoid that. And Kvyat is right there. So basically, back right-hand side of Grosjean's car has hit the front left of Kvyat's and it sent him straight into the wall at full speed. Like, no messing about. He had nothing he could do about that. Straight into the barrier. It's literally ripped the car in half and then blown up like all we saw on the telly was a, just a massive ball of fire wasn't it it was quite horrific to see and I think they said it was 18 seconds that he was in the car before he managed to get out so that's a long time to be sat in a blaze of fire especially with you know racing fuel that goes up quick so quite horrific what happened What's really uh, unbelievable for for me as a relatively new fan is to see something that visceral uh, and and that just uh, incredibly just raw uh, kind of that sort of thing happen in a, in a race in 2020 when um, safety regulations are, um, as was proven today, so well thought out, which I think Matt is going to chat to us later, which I'm actually really excited to learn something. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't conceive of what on earth was going on. I thought this can't, this can't be real. I, um, I, I totally agree with you, Will. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll talk, we'll do this, this race review a little differently this week because it's, it's not something we've ever seen and it's not, you can't go lap one, lap two. So um, to paint the picture, let, we, we want to talk a bit about safety because today showed us what it means. Um, and you have Roman Grosjean hitting the barrier at, I don't know, around 150 upwards miles an hour and the car as Callum has explained, it went through the barrier, was in half, and it exploded. Um, at, at the people viewing this, the the feed went dead. We we it, it happened, and then we knew nothing. So it was it was a painful what five five minutes for for all of us. I mean, it may be more than that. And I think that stems from like in the history where F one has made mistakes on showing too much or not getting the information and basically force feeding these traumatic images. Uh, you know, I have a friend here in the States talking about why did it take so long because we didn't know. Uh, I applaud the F1 directors. I give them a lot of grief sometimes about I wanted to see this overtake live when it happened and they don't get the precise second on camera. But today I was actually very grateful. They waited until we had an update uh, of him being out of the car and in the medical uh treatment facilities before we were told or shown anything because uh, if it had gone another way, 
we didn't need to see that at that time. Yeah, I totally agree, Matt. And it's it's I think very easy for for directors to know what's going to essentially get the viewers, and it's it's easy stuff when when you have a crash. But we didn't see we didn't know anything until the picture came up of him in the medical car, which um, I, I applaud and I applaud the the F one commentators for managing themselves through that because uh, I I couldn't. Um, so. Okay, Let, we know what happened. Um, we know sort of how it happened. Let's talk about safety in F1 because uh, I'm just going to say, like I said before, I thought from what I'd seen, this was um, th- this was the end of his life. And uh, th- did any of you think differently or that he might have survived that? For the for the for the listeners, no, I 100. I thought he was dead. No other yeah. way about it. It was horrific. I would have agreed. I, I I couldn't see what was happening and I thought that amount of fire, that can only mean one thing, frankly. Yeah. The speed with which he hit the wall, or excuse me, the barrier and the explosion thereafter and how quickly they cut away uh, really lended itself to know and understand this is serious. This is not a you know simple little incident. Uh, I fully expected the worst. Yeah, okay. So the good news is it wasn't the worst, but let's let's take a little a few few years back, Matt. I want to um, I want to ask you about the the sort of the history of safety in F one because I know it's something you, you you know you're passionate about, something that you, you you're very educated in, and just enlighten enlighten us of how we got to um, the impact today being survived. No pressure at all. Very educated in, huh? Uh, More than me. You know. <laughs> Well, you know, everybody talks about Jackie Stewart being the quote unquote grandfather of safety in F1. He was a advocate for the drivers. Uh, and throughout the years, they've really lagged behind uh, in times gone by. You know, for a time there in the very beginning, the marshals are often overlooked. You know, they're key to incidents in the past and now, uh, both good and bad. Uh, when we first began racing, they didn't even have to have helmets. Uh, And we're using the phrase helmets very, very loosely. Uh, You know, it's just a piece of leather draped over their head to basically prevent abrasions. It's about it. Uh, But with the cars getting faster, the fuel is becoming more volatile. You know, we start having things like uh, Nomex or fire resistance race suits uh, were mandated in 1975. Uh, They actually didn't even require racing clothes until 1963. You know, you look at some of the guys like, you know, Graham Hill, Fangio, Brabham, they're out there in, you know, trousers and button-down shirts throwing these cars around. Uh, But the biggest thing that helped today was the monocoque or the survival cell. Uh, Basically, in the past, you had the steel frame defined the confines of the car, and you would insert driver, engine, transmission, all the other components within that. Now it's kind of a, uh, like a fighter pilot's cockpit, and then all the propulsion and suspension are affixed to that. Uh, that is the biggest thing. It's made from like, I think it's a Kevlar impregnated carbon fiber. It's all built for the safety and not the speed. They do have aerodynamic considerations on the monocoque, uh, but things like, you know, the halo that Will's going to talk to us about and the monocoque are actually not even designed independently. They are set parameters uh, that the FIA put out that they have to adhere to to ensure people walk away from things like today. Uh, even things like, you know, another one that's I think is being overlooked today, the halo system. Uh, basically it forces the driver's head to stay in place whenever there's an impact. Uh, and I saw a report earlier stating that this wreck today with Roman Grosjean was registered at 50 G's. 
That's 50 times atmospheric gravity. You know, we talk about five G's in a turn. They did 10 times that in that accident, and he walked away from it. It's nothing short of miraculous, but it's also a, a testament to how far we have come from leather helmets and gloves and goggles. That's that's incredible. I mean, so when I was first researching Formula One, when I was a new fan, I, I remember actually coming across some of this stuff and seeing photos and all of the kind of uh, the vintage uh, way in which they used to race, which is um, interesting enough with old motorcycle helmets that were surplus from the Second World War, um, a whole load of uh, just sort of cobbled together bits and pieces that chaps had at home and say, right, well, you know, oh, this will probably be all right. I'll jump in the jump in the car, we'll see what we can do and bash it out with the other chaps, yes. And and, and I thought, okay, that kind of makes sense. Then I, I, I would have thought, surely, surely by the mid-60s at worst, they would have mandated the, the Nomex fire suits and all of that stuff. I mean, one driver, as we know, Nicky Lauda, suffered life-changing burns at the Nürburgring. Um, and so for me, I, I, I couldn't, I can't, well, I just frankly still can't believe that it took them that long, but thank God they eventually got around to it because, you know, if, if Grosjean had not had that, that, that technology at his disposal today, we could, we could have seen a very, very different story. And my view, which is why, I, why I'm so interested in this, is because, you know, being under, uh, under the age of, I don't know, 50, 60, you don't know what it, things used to be like unless you go and look for it. So the people who watch F1 today don't understand where, you know, drivers, it was accepted that drivers would die here and there when the sport begun. Um, it was just a thing. And it's just un- unbelievable. So, um, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, yeah, I totally agree. That was one of the things that I found most shocking was when we're talking to a friend of mine who who was a much larger uh, F1 fan has been you know interested in the sport for decades. Uh, he he mentioned how um, in the early fifties there was a, a, an immense casualty rate. I mean, apparently, um, and I, I can't remember uh, where I where I heard this. Um, they would expect to lose drivers through acts of navigational error because the tracks weren't always set out in the same way that they are now. And they would sometimes, I believe I'm correct in saying, race through villages and, and small areas, small rural areas. Um, and often nobody would be, you know, you didn't have marshals, you didn't have any of the safety staff. And so, you know, going off a cliff or, or rolling off the side of a steep hill um, or just taking the wrong turn could quite possibly have happened. So Matt, how do we go from that to just you know where 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 we are today? Well, the biggest thing you know we're talking about navigational errors. Barriers weren't even introduced uh, in some of the modern iterations until the '90s. But like, imagine being a Jack Brabham or a Bruce McLaren, and you fly or drive to this random town, and you go righto. Here's your car. Figure it out. Forgive my Cockney accident. Accent or accident? No, I, I think, think that, that, I think that was an accident. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Not only do they have to learn the tracks, there are no visual aids like today with the modern colors and the curbs, the sausage curbs oh, and all true. that with true confines of a track. You know, like the Isle of Man uh, TT is just a regular surface road and these madmen are going through it at 200 miles an hour. That was F1 back in the day. These brilliant, lovable psychopaths are like, I'm going to drive this road wide open with minimal clothing, no formal crash structure or anything in place. And you know what? Just going to send it. If you, if you look at the old footage of uh, Fangio driving the spa track, 
It's unbelievable. The only thing that's stopping him from going off in, and careening into a house or a large hill, uh, about three or four loosely placed hay bales. Uh, seriously, I mean, there is absolutely, or there was, uh, sorry, uh, no regard for safety at all. I mean, it's just crazy that, that drivers used to be that ballsy. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, it's very easy at this point to talk about numbers, how many, who, when. And let, let's not do that because what we're talking about is a positive improvement here. And, you know, there, there's been quite a, a few times which I think, yeah, very lucky indeed. Matt, what's your, what do you think? Lewis Hamilton said it best, and this is coming from a member of the Tifosi. Uh, during the break after their red flag, he tweeted, the risk we take is no joke. And this modern era, you know, we do have the unfortunate things like Antoine Hubert's crash in uh, Spa, Ayrton Senna, Jules Bianchi, we always think, you know, okay, we're there now. We've, we've got the safety in place and nobody will ever get hurt again. Everything's wonderful. It's rosy. Today shows that you can't plan for everything. No matter how much testing we do, there's always room for improvements. So the FIA will study this. There will be hopefully new technologies, new materials, new something in place. But, I mean, we've made massive strides. Racing will never be safe. You cannot do anything at 200 miles an hour and be 100% safe. I, I feel like personally, that's why uh, the sport has got such a draw for so many fans is that it is possibly one of the only um, pursuits left in the world, really, where a person can actually put themselves in harm's way and and fully acknowledges that they could die dur dur during a sport. I mean, it just doesn't happen with anything else anymore. Yeah, and there are there are extreme sports, you know, that that could could go against that argument. But I think in terms of the really popular mainstream, you know, we're talking we're talking tennis, football, um, rugby, or, or soccer, or whatever you call it, Matt. Um, it's it's reason it's it's times like today that almost people just don't don't even consider as possible and. Uh, the reason for that is when I saw the picture of Albon's car um, that crashed in practice, I thought, oh, my God, this is bad. I wasn't watching the practice live. And I watched it back and I thought, oh, OK, it wasn't that bad, was it? He just jumped out and off he goes. But it, it, <laughs> there's, a lot of, um, there's a lot of reasons behind the, that they can do that. Do you have anything left on this, Matt? I mean, look at Marcus Erickson's crash where he went, had that... Uh suspension failure and got thrown into the wall at like 200 miles an hour and flipped and he walked away. It's almost like the science and technology has gone so far. Uh, you know, looking back at times like Marcus Erickson's crash where he flipped end over end and walked away from it, we forget that that element's still there. It's almost accepted that there's no way they'll not be hurting this, uh, or excuse me, that they will be hurting this. Let's walk away from it. It's almost a fight pilot gladiator mentality these guys have. And we need to remember that and respect that. Callum, you 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 run our, our Formula Nerds Facebook, um, which has a heck of a lot of people. Do you just want to explain what happened and the response that we had to take when this race, when this incident happened? And I don't mean let's talk about the negatives, but in terms of the volume of people that were in shock. Insane. No other word for it. There was literally hundreds of people commenting trying to post into our group, trying to just well wish towards Grosjean, really. Like, they were all so positive and wishing him well and just sort of really shocked by the occasion like we were as well. And it's amazing to see the community that we run 
can be so positive towards that. So, you know, we're, we're having to restrict how many people were commenting and things like that because we just couldn't keep up with it. So thank you to everyone who did try and post today. So we ended up posting our own sort of thing that people could comment on rather than having literally hundreds of posts that people would miss. We decided to post one thing ourselves and let people comment on it because it was just madness. And I think, um, you know, the reason that we, we have a big community and it, and it goes so fast is things like not letting people put pictures up and making sure that it, not being disrespectful to the people that are involved with it before you know what the situation is, because that's one of the reasons that I hate social media. And I even, you know, th- this idea is here in the first place. So, um, yeah, so thank you to <laughs> the team of nine Formula Nerds who suddenly became the busiest people in the world during a red flag. That was unexpected, and at least we know how to uh, deal with it next time, eh? Um, okay, let's take a quick break, and then we'll... Um, two drivers today who potentially were saved by the... Halo. That is correct, yes. Yeah, it could have been, uh, it could have been a really awful situation for... For another young young gun as well, but uh, thankfully we've uh, we've got that device in place, which I will talk about in a moment. Okay, so as as we take our break, we are at red flag, um, and we'll talk about the next race start in just a minute. Welcome back to the Cut to the Race podcast. Um, we are discussing the Bahrain GP that occurred today. Um, we've spoken about the, the the drama of lap one, how we felt, how the community um, reacted to it, and a bit about the sort of the, the history the, of safety in F1 without going into too much depth, because we often are guilty of doing that. You can just say me. Sorry, Matt. I didn't want to pick you out, man. It's, Savage. Uh, it's, it's, we all know it. We just didn't say it. I'm only joking. Shortly after the restart, um, we had another crash. Will, let's just talk a bit about Halos because yes. it's, it's something we didn't like, but I do know. Yeah. So um, so for those, of, well, I'm sure somebody will elaborate further. Um, the race restarted and, uh, and Lance Stroll uh, found himself, um, uh, I assume, very thankful for the halo. Um, he was hit, I, I believe, by uh, a, a, an Alpha Tauri of Daniel Kvyat um, and ended up uh, upside down on the side of the track. Um, now, I couldn't actually see the angle brilliantly, but it looked to me like the halo once again was uh, was really, really useful there um, in stopping the whole weight of the car from being balanced on his neck, um, which obviously would probably have killed him. So generally, uh, just a, a fantastic device. The halo originally, uh, if we're talking about history here, um, was first tested in 2016. So only four years ago. So it's still a relatively new device for kind of hardcore long-term F1 fans. Um, but, uh, but, you know, they were thinking about it you know, well in advance of 2018. So that was you know, really good. Um, and then in the 2018 season, uh, that's when uh, it was made mandatory on all F1, F2, F3 and Formula E cars. Um, and also Formula 4 cars were mandated to have that starting uh, next year, starting in 2021. So um, yeah, really good that, you know, okay, 
it was only tested, you know, over the span of two years, but it was quickly implemented because people realized how useful it was going to be. Uh, IndyCar, the American version of RF1, um, also uses uh, a similar halo, um, and it also has a, a structural uh, frame, uh, a kind of uh, aero screen uh, job going on. I'm not sure the technical term. I'm sure our friend from across the pond could help me out on that. You nailed it with aero screen. Well done. Oh, okay, okay, that would do. Fine. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it's evidently uh, transcended just... Uh, our our favoured type of motorsport. Um, so the construction of it is very, very simple. I won't go into too much detail of what it's made of, um, but it's uh, essentially got three contact points. It's got a main sort of stem, if you think of it like a tree. It's got kind of a, a trunk uh, right in the middle, right in the front, right in front of the driver. Um, and then it has two branches, if you like, that go up above his head, um, sort of uh, uh, just above the temple, and then make their way round the side uh, sort of the side of the vehicle and connect on, I believe, just below the air intake. So um, from that point of view, it's really, really soundly engineered. Um, that's all I've got on that. Uh, but what's more interesting about the uh, the Halo, for my money at any rate, um, is, the, uh, is the way in which it was um, received. As some of the commentators were saying today, one of the really big vocal supporters of this um, was actually Roman Grosjean and Sebastian Vettel, who are both members of uh, the Drivers Safety Board. I've forgotten its acronym for the moment. I'm sure it will return later. Um, and uh, were pushing for this because they knew how important it could be. Um, and yet, oddly enough, one person who you wouldn't have thought would be against this was Nicky Lauda, a racing legend who we mentioned earlier, um, who I, I'm sure would have you know, would have almost certainly been really pleased to have had a, an extra safety feature like this. Um, however, uh, he actually said that he thought it changed the whole dynamic of racing, which I don't know what your guys' thoughts were, but I just I just thought it was a bit a mm. bit odd, really. Mm. Uh, it was. I remember Lewis Hamilton saying that he didn't want it. What was the reason that brought this in in the first place? Was it, was it Jules Bianchi? Yes. Right. Okay, we'll leave it there. Um, and I think it, Spa, I think, was the first time it, it proved its worth with a car going over the top of a Ferrari. I, I believe so. Yeah. There was a, a, a Formula 3 event also at Monza in, uh, in 2019, so a little bit more recently as well, which, was, uh, which is cited, generally speaking, at any rate, as one of the other examples where um, uh, Alexander Peroni um, was uh, was was very fortunate to walk away alive um, when uh, uh, a vehicle landed on top of the dro of, of the driver's cockpit um, during a, an F3 event at Monza. So uh, yeah, it's proved it's worth there. Um, what happened today? Uh, obviously, as we've talked about, it was a, you know there was a lot of fire going on, but actually, um, and I think I think Callum, you might have referenced this. The halo was so strong uh, it punctured the metal barrier. Correct, yeah. When you looked at the, the image they showed us, obviously the half that Grosjean was in of the car that didn't, you know, separate this whole, what are we calling it? The, the safety carcass, is it? Safety pod or monocoque. The safety pod then was in, in, the, in the, uh, the barrier, but the halo was actually poking out of the other side, the halo had punctured the barrier and stayed completely intact, mm. which worried me slightly because yeah, his yeah, head yeah. must have been pretty close to the barrier at that point. It's quite so, a touch and go. You know, and it obviously he uses the halo to actually get in and out of the car as well. So that did concern me a little bit when I saw that the halo had punctured through. He probably lost a couple of inches of leeway to get out of the car there when it's tight as it is. So, you know, there is pros and cons to the halo. But when it comes to outright safety and 
preventing a driver from dying, they're clearly proving their worth, yeah. aren't they? There's, there's, I feel like there's, there's very little argument, to be fair. Um, I well, mean, Actually, Will, the, the only argument that they had has been proven yeah, untrue today. Yeah, completely flawed. Yeah, yeah, totally flawed. Which was the totally, fire scenario, wasn't it? Yeah, and and, uh, and actually it's been proven, uh, f- thankfully, uh, a, a complete misnomer. Anyway, so yeah, no, you're totally right. Um, it, it, you know, those arguments have been completely disproven. Um, it's just a shame it had to happen in such a dangerous way. But that, for me, as a new fan as well... I felt I felt almost a sense of just complete relief to see that the halo was so well intact. You know, it was so strong that it could it could survive something so was it fifty G's? I think you said Matt something so yep. unbelievably just awful. Um, and uh, yeah, really, really amazing invention. Um, that's not as a detailed a history as I could give. So if you would like to uh, find more information, do it yourself. Um, it's really, really fascinating. So yeah, this is sort of why I, I wanted, uh, you know, before we had the started recording, wanted to find out how this this halo withstood such an impact because that's got to be the toughest material on earth to withstand a 50 g impact now uh, 50 g's it's what does that even mean like it's very difficult to understand the seriousness fighter pilots are trained to stay conscious up to 7 g that's normally the point where they start to black out it's actually the lack of blood ability to circulate through the body at that you know fighter pilots are told to constrict their legs and hold their breathing and tighten their core uh, to basically keep the blood in the brain and in the respiratory system. <laughs> I believe we'll also get picked up by some uh, some very clever people in the comments. Um, uh, I, if I'm correct in saying, I think that F1 drivers experience lateral G, which is different to what a fighter pilot experiences, which is a 360 sort more kind of uh, all round level of G. So I, I believe they're not directly comparable, but it, but it's a good benchmark to prove just how crazy this was. Cool. So, um, yeah, thank you to the Halo. Um, Matt, is there anything left on safety that you, you, want, to, you, you want to finish that, uh, that little, little discussion on? I do. For people wanting to learn more about the Halo, I highly recommend the testing videos of the Halo, where they were literally firing wheels and tires at the Halo assembly. Uh, it's wild to see the amount of forces and brutality those things can withstand. I can't do it justice talking about it. So do your own research, be amazed, and nerd out with us. We'll pop those in the show notes if you want to see what Matt's talking about. Let's cut to the race then. So we restarted um, and then the safety car came out due to the car being upside down. Uh, It wasn't a red flag scenario. Now, I did ask why, um, because you had an upside down car at the end of a fairly fairly substantial straight. But that is due to um, essentially the the risk assessment of it wasn't dangerous. No one was going to hit it. Um, Callum, can you continue just with when the safety car went in? How did the drivers react to what they'd seen so far? You know, it wasn't, oh God, let's be careful, was it? You know, we saw plenty, plenty, early on anyway, we saw plenty of on-track action, overtaking, wheel-to-wheel. I think early on, Ocon and Leclerc was a good battle. Ocon was really defending to the hills. Leclerc was really going at him. Um, I got nothing. Sorry. We're really good at this, aren't we? We're really <laughs> and professional guys. Uh, so my what, mind's gone blank. Go on, go on, tell us. Uh, Formula A. Boss, it was a difficult day. Uh, I'm not sure why my arson fingers come out, but never mind. Well, well, we'll discuss who won it, shall we? Hamilton won it. Let's just cut to the end and then we can talk about how it happened. How about that instead? That sounds like a plan. Okay. 
Hamilton won it. He he won it from the beginning, really. It was a dominant race. It wasn't as dominant as we're used to with Verstappen in behind, but did we have any Verstappen action? Um, Cal, you're, you're probably the biggest Verstappen lurther in this, in this group. So um, what did you think of his race? Boring. What, what Verstappen? Uh, he was boring. He, he tried and tried and tried to close the gap to Lewis. And every time... He like they went in the pits. He came back out. He closed the gap by a couple of seconds, and then Lewis would just look in his mirrors and think, ah, "All right," and then, and then just pick it, pick up the pace, and then that was it. Lewis was in control the whole time. Verstappen couldn't do anything, but to his credit, he really, really kept away from Perez, Albon, all the chasing pack. He was keeping up with Hamilton, but I do think that Hamilton was in control of it the whole time. Yeah, I thought it was another masterclass from Lewis, to be honest. Um, He was complaining, as were, to be fair, quite a few drivers about the rears going um, and just losing all, 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 I suppose, all grip uh, in the rear tyres. Um, but yeah, it, it was, everyone was always, you know, kind of expecting him, I think, to pull away again. And um, hopefully next year might be a bit different, but the dominance well, it was never really in question. No, and it's not really fair to actually judge Verstappen, is it? Because he must be giving it absolutely everything he's got, and it just looks like he's sitting behind, not trying. Matt, I mean, as a Ferrari fan, you can probably relate to that, can't you? Oh, I they give absolutely no mercy for me. Uh, I remember hearing the radio message of Max Verstappen on maximum attack here, and it was just like, cool, still four and a half seconds behind. And as a Ferrari man, I'm envious of that because we're like trying to not get lapped. You're like 40 seconds behind. Yeah. <laughs> How many it? minutes back are we? <laughs> when, when Matt and I, we, we, had a, we, we reconnected the Zoom call a little later in the race and um, we were watching the lap times, like literally watching the lap times and we go, ooh, ooh, Max has made up two tenths of a second and then, yeah, uh, nothing happened. Third today was... Alex Albon. No. No. With a bow on. Who saw With it going? Who saw it coming, eh? Who saw it going? I didn't see... Well, I see him going, but I didn't see that result coming. Sergio Perez didn't see it coming. I can assure you of that. Oh, God. God, that went... That was heartbreak. On the the Perez thing, Martin Brundle was saying that he's... He thinks Perez is going. He he doesn't think he's going to Red Bull. Sorry, for those of our listeners who weren't there, just to let them know what was happening, uh, we're talking about Sergio Perez's engine catching fire. So uh, quite an eventful race, even to the last. Luckily, he managed to, he was obviously, you know, he pulled the car over and it was all safe and everything. But again, just crazy stuff happening. And now that could possibly be one of his last races. I I feel really sad. I do. We've... Richard, who's on our uh, Twitter team, he decoded, well, decoded, he translated an um, announcement from Perez's, uh, I'm not sure what you would call them, uh, media Calm. representative. Um, and it announced that there is a press conference that Perez is holding on Monday. And it's, it's interesting. Cal, can you just, while I'm, we, we discuss this, have a look at the results of uh, what people think is going to happen on our page, please? Yeah. Well, I've so, got it right in front of me, actually. I do. Brilliant. So we don't know right this minute if Perez is either going to go or go to Red Bull. It's one or the other. We've 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 narrowed it down. Um, a lot of people think he's going. You've just said Martin Brundle does. Um, I still think he's going to Red Bull. You know, the, the cars are different there. If Perez was in the Red Bull, probably would have finished third, judging by the fact that their engines didn't set on fire. Um, but I don't think he would have been able to keep up with... Uh, Verstappen still. I don't think anyone would keep with this Verstappen. 
in that call? I think um, I think the point I'm making is Perez is is going to take Albon's seat potentially. Albon finished ahead of him. Perez didn't finish on paper. It doesn't look good. It looks like okay, right? Maybe Albon's brought it back, but it's just not the case, is it? Um, Cal, Matt, I think you disagree with me there, don't you? By the looks of it, very much so. Checo has just had an amazing year. The end result today is through no fault of Checo's own. Uh, even his own pit wall were surprised by that mechanical failure. Uh, you know, Checo's not the one installing the pedestal valves for the turbos himself. Uh, I think even with this coming back, you know, we can't base it off one race. Uh, Helmet Marco and Horner and the team at Red Bull still have to make their adjudication on Albon. But even though Albon had the superior result today, that's he was in place. But we can't count it as a win for Albon over Checo. That, that's exactly all. my point. So I think we agreed with each other that he didn't earn that podium over Perez. I think we have to look at the numbers here. Uh, you know, Checo, what was it, two or three races with COVID? Uh, after the end of this race, he's sitting in fifth place with 100 points. Alex mm-hmm. Albon is ninth with 85 points. So Checo has outperformed him this entire year with less races and is still doing better. And also talking about, you know, bringing in Mazepan, uh, as Will was mentioning Haas. I think Haas is trying to follow the Red Bull model of young talent they can promote and develop and push forward. However, if you're looking for financial backing and on-track success, look no further than Checo Perez. He's right there. He's got the pockets. It's it's a crying shame is what it is. So, Callum, uh, tell us what happened on Facebook. What What's the general opinion? Because this post, how many people saw this post? We'll start there. 198,000 people saw this post. Brilliant. How many people reacted to it or engaged with this post? So the latest that I'm seeing now is it's still going, but the latest I've seen is 9,700 people have given their opinion on this. Um, now, 6,700 of those think that Perez will go to Red Bull. Wow. 2,900 think he will go out of F1. So the vast majority, therefore, are backing Checo. And yet, when we hear comments like that from Brundle, a man who is almost assuredly in the know, somehow, you would think, it shines light on on what you might conceive as a logical course of action. There are some... um Really great points within this, uh, within the comments as well. From when you look into it, people who actually might know what they're talking about. Cal, do you want to go through some of them? Yeah, there's a guy called Edward McKay, and you know this comment has actually had 47 likes of its own. So people tend to agree with it. He said, "If he isn't joining Red Bull, then I feel extremely sorry for him. He's been the second most consistent driver this year behind Hamilton." is a bold statement but apart from Verstappen I can't disagree with him yeah he speaks facts I I wouldn't say Verstappen would beat Perez on consistency on consistency no no Mm -mm. no. Um, but it's it's a really good debate Um, are there any other um, interesting points on there Cal yeah there's a person called Cy Jonta they said he's going to announce that next year he's going to be the fastest Formula E driver on the grid which I think they were trying to have a bit of banter. But hey, what are you saying about Formula E, boys? Formula on, E isn't an impossible option for him, is it? It's one I hadn't thought of, actually, if I'm honest, until I yeah, saw that yeah. comment. Matt? 
Checo even released a statement stating that if he doesn't have a drive in F1 for next year, he will find another formula. And I have no idea what the team standings are and formally what the contractual positions are, but I think I know somebody that does. Yes, so I, I'm quite a big Formula E fan, for those of you who don't know. Um, Wrong podcast, yeah, uh, brother. Sorry, yeah, maybe I should have switched I'm to a different uh, Facebook page. See you, lads, later. I'll just uh, send you back all the login info for the YouTube channel. It's uh, the first time it's ever been relevant, so go on. I know, I know, I know. It's great, isn't it? Finally. Um, yeah, I, I would have to agree, Matt. So the way that Formula E is is organised at the moment, a lot of the top teams, like Diaz to Cheetah, who I'm a fan of, they've got their lineup sorted for next year. Porsche have, Mercedes have, all of these new teams have. Uh, but I'm fairly confident there might be a seat, I believe, either in the Virgin team or in the Neo team. Um, I'm sure there will be some FE F- F- fans out there who can pick me up. But there is, I'm, I'm fairly, I'm, I'm sure there must be a spot for, for Checo if he needed it. Um, and for a lot of drivers like Jean-Éric Verne, who we saw in F1, um, and also for Pascal Verlein, um, you know, it's a really, really sort of straightforward transition. It's growing as a motorsport, whether or not F1 fans like it or not, it is growing, you know, massively, actually. Um, it's going to be a lucrative market for him. And as a guy with a family to support, you know, and also he'll still be racing. OK, it might not be the most exciting racing that, you know, generally we've seen, but it will still be adrenaline fueled. He might. Yeah, all right. All right. Um, he uh, he might well still manage to get a kick out of it in the same way that Raikkonen somehow is still driving for Alfa Romeo. Yeah, we know that Perez is going to be a loss, but are there Formula E teams that would take a financial risk to break contracts to pick him up? I don't know. It's um, quite possibly not, in fairness, actually. Now, I haven't, I hadn't thought about that in, in so much detail. Quite possibly not. Um, because it's such a new motorsport, they could, I, I, I personally could see them being quite cautious and being being a bit more careful. Um, I'd like to think so. I'd like to think that they wouldn't care. And personally, I think Checo is more of a, I, I would have said he's more of an asset than a risk because of the amount of sponsorship he brings. Um, but I guess time will tell. Yeah, that's 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 sort of my point before Matt just, just destroys me because I can see he's about to. Um, he's, I think, with what Checo Perez can bring, right, I, I would rather financially pay off a driver to take them out of the seat and put him in it. But Matt... What's your thoughts? Because you very ex- you've got an expression on your face. I do. Uh, we always talk about Checo sponsorships and so forth. That doesn't mean they're necessarily going to follow him into Formula E. Uh, like Telemex is one of his biggest partners uh, that he got from when he was uh, doing so well at Sauber. It's all contingent upon those businesses finding Formula E viable enough to continue to invest at the rate they do or at a lesser rate to get their markets made. So even though Formula E is a burgeoning, burgeoning, growing motorsport, uh, you know, they have to decide they actually want to stay with him in that discipline. So not only does Checo have to navigate the business world for his sponsorships, he also has to bring them and convince them that these other motorsports are worth investing in. Indeed. So it's a little bit more complicated, as it always is. I think my favorite uh, point to this was... Everyone seems to be saying Red Bull would make an announcement before he does. And I thought, I really thought that was going to come this weekend and then Checo does his own. Because um, they haven't said they're having Albon. They haven't said anything. Why haven't they? If that's what's happening, why haven't they? Um, if Perez is leaving, it just it just doesn't tie in. Anyway, um, 
Because of the delays in this this race and um, the amount of time that we have to record this podcast, um, Will does need to leave us, unfortunately. I do apologise, guys. I've got some family stuff to attend to, but uh, it has been really genuinely interesting talking about the safety features. Not something I would have thought I would ever be interested, but I must admit the nerds has converted me. Well, I hope um, other people agree with you or this show will go um, no further. Let's take a quick break <laughs> and come back with Callum, Matt and myself, Ollie, for a bit more of a chat. Hi, this is Frederick Lubin and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Welcome back. We are one man less. Will has um, prior engagements which can't be moved. Let's talk our race ratings as we do and also um, driver of the day on track um, and then... Well, we, we can we can summarize. So, Matt, I'm gonna gonna hand it to you. My driver of the day. Uh, people are gonna accuse me of bias once again. Uh, Carlos Sainz was incredible today for McLaren. Uh, oh, very, very future, future Ferrari driver. I know. There it is. Shocking, oh. right? Oh. Uh, uh, it was very very close for me between Lando and Carlos, but uh, you know, I had to let my uh, red blood cells take over. Uh, Carlos Sainz, amazing overtakes. Loved watching him battle with Leclerc. But those two both looked extremely racy, uh, even though I believe Lando Norris finished higher. Uh, Carlos had to navigate more traffic throughout the race. Uh, my race rating, I'm not going to rate it very high. I think we all kind of absconded for a nap in the middle of it, so I'm going to give it a 6.5 or 7 out of 10. Minus lap, not based on lap 1, obviously, yeah. So, Matt, which are you going for? You said about 10 I'm different what? numbers. Didn't you? Six and a half. I'll go. I said six and a half or seven, but I'll stick with six and a half. Six and a half. Callum, talk me through for you. Driver of the day for me, I'm going to say Lando Norris. Uh, I thought he had a terrific drive, start to finish. He didn't put a foot wrong. He was quite pacey as well, which is unusual for him. He's not usually the paciest in race pace anyway. So, yeah, really chuffed to see him do that well today. Uh, And then a race rating, unfortunately, I'm going to have to give it a five. Like genuinely, halfway through, once it reached like lap 30, I had to go and get like an energy drink to prevent myself from nodding off. It was that bad. Yeah, I think I think if you've got any left, mate, if, if you could give me one via video, I would have one right now. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a long day. Uh, mine has to be driver of the day. I don't think we've ever agreed on, on the same before, which is cool, but it's going to be Perez. Um, he didn't finish the race, but... It was, he should have, he should have taken the podium. So I'm giving it to Perez. My race rating is going to be a 3.5, unfortunately. Ooh. Um, Ooh. Because Savage. Uh, it was the call Ricard. Did you watch the right race? Well, we didn't have that this year. So based on what I saw today, it <laughs> was a very good few laps when we, when we got racing and then it turned into a, a strategy race rather than um, the action on track. So, Next week, we're still there, though, Callum, aren't we? We are. We are indeed. We are going to Bahrain again. It's going to be called the Sakia Grand Prix, I believe. Um, and we did a little vote on Facebook, basically sort of gauging who what, who would prefer what is either the outer loop, what we're going to experience next week, or the original Bahrain circuit that we experienced today. Do you want to say which, which one they're more excited for? It was today's circuit. They were more excited for by quite a long way. Really? Wow. Yeah. I mean, personally, I'm more excited for the outer loop. It's something we've never seen before. It's something different. And everything we've seen different this year has provided something really good. So 
6,600 people voted on this, and 4,900 of them voted for the original circuit. Wow, I would not have I would not have expected that whatsoever. Not at all. I was actually Googling it yesterday. Um, the largest winning margin in, uh, in F1 throughout the decade. Um, none are very... Unbelievably, none of them are this year, last year. Um, they're big. Do you guys know what they are? I haven't got them in front none of me, but... None of them will be in the V6 turbo hybrid era because didn't Fangio have like a minute 13 gap at one point? That is outrageous. Largest winning margin is two laps. 1969, Jackie Stewart over Bruce McLaren. Also wow. 95 at Australia, Damon Hill over Olivier Panis. Largest margin in mm. time is five minutes and 12 seconds. Get out. That's more than two laps. Sterling Moss over Mike Hawthorne. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Jeez. Imagine you'd be out of the car. You would be having your cup of tea by the time the second place finished. He's already, he's already popped the champagne bottle, gotten drunk off of it, and passed out on top of the podium. God, they would have had to delay the ceremony, wouldn't they? Just uh, fill it. Wow. That's a long margin. Matt, are there any recent ones? What's the most recent on that list that you've got, and how big is it? The most recent one was 95 Australian uh, oh. with Grant Hill over Panis. Uh, but also, here's a fun one for you. The lowest average speed race winner. Who wants to take a crack at that for fun numbers? Uh, I, I'm gonna, I, I reckon this is because the safety car was out all race or very nearly. Very um, close. But I don't know the answer. I'm going to say 63 miles an hour. It's actually lower than that. No, it's not. <laughs> was it fastest motorsport safety car around Monaco? It was Jensen Button in Canada 2011. Remember when they stopped the race for all the rain? That was a great race. Do you like to know what his average speed was? Well, you just told me. 46 and a half miles an hour. Oh, lower than what Cal said. I didn't, or I 74 kilometers an hour for uh, our Imperial overlords. And ironically, that was a very dangerous race at the same time. It's mad, isn't it? Cal, um, mm -hmm. you, thanks for your yawn. I'm sure it uh, <laughs> came out so clearly. So I'm clearly. not going to apologize for that. I Thoughts on it. Bahrain. Anyway, okay. So um, not people aren't excited for next week. Fine. We know that. Driver standings. We've got two races left and then it's all over. It's done. 2020. Mm. Wow. We haven't got Emma this week, so um, Matt's going to do the driver standings instead. Emma, I hope you enjoy Matt's version of what you do. Do I have to be saucy like Emma? I don't know if I can pull that off. Oh, dear. Well, I'm not going to answer that one. No, uh, thanks. So obvious, <laughs> obviously, we know uh, Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Botas are one and two. Uh, Valtteri Botas is at 201. Max Verstappen is at 189. And I believe Valtteri Botas finished eighth today. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo, Emma's boy, is sitting in fourth with 102, followed closely in fifth by Checo Perez, who is two points down on him with 100. That is unreal. Uh, wow. You want to know what's unreal? Charles Leclerc in sixth, two points behind Checo. Let that sink in. Uh, so then it gets a little bit tighter going down. Uh, Lando and Sainz are sitting in seventh and eighth, separated by one point, 86 to 85. And Alex Albon is in there with 85 points as well in ninth. So, you know, that battle for nice. third and fourth is about to get very, very interesting. Uh, then it kind of drops off a little bit with Gasly being the next one even close to 71. Uh, if we look at the constructors as we sit right now. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, this is the interesting bit that we uh, – I've got no idea of the change here. 
going into last week or after last week, we all talked about who we thought was going to end up best of the rest in third. Would anybody like to guess what the differentials are right now? So what's changed? Um, it, uh, no idea, Matt. I, I would say, based on what I know, McLaren have improved. Massively. Yeah. Uh, McLaren have a very, very strong lead in third now with 171. Racing Point are still in fourth with 154, but they had two DNFs today. That's what hurt them. They would have been much closer. Uh, And Renault is sitting in fifth with 144. You know, Ocon and Ricardo, I think, race each other most of today, and that kind of hurt them. And then from there, uh, that team from Italy people have heard of is fighting for relevancy still. Can I just say, Mm -hmm. I predicted McLaren. I called it. I said I called Renault, and I was wrong on that so so wrong yeah yeah so really this is we were all wrong because i I called renault as well didn't i um yeah but i was right because i called mclaren so i I will i will just say as well Mm -hmm. bottas had an awful race today how verstappen's only 12 points now behind bottas if they finish the same as they did today next week He's in second place in the championship. Then Mercedes have a problem on the hands. They they then surely have to look at that and think, eh, f- when did this happen? God, he has been crap. I've just sat and thought, when did this happen, Cal? That's, Matt, you started at number three in the Drivers' Championship. Actually, this is going to happen. It, very likely of this could happen now. Verstappen we told you. We, it's taken us like five minutes to convert him, Matt, but I think he's there. I think he's finally seen the light because all, he all, all we need is Max Verstappen to edge him out for number two and that entire argument about Botas isn't that bad. Give the man a fresh eight number two in the standings. Gone. It's and gone. That, it, then you need to talk about Albon. And, and, and we're talking about different things here, man. <laughs> we are. We, we, the same but different somehow. Yeah, 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 yeah. On another note as well, this is just showing how good Verstappen is. Oh, oh it mm-hmm. is. It is. It is. So if he splits those Mercedes overall in the World Championship in a shorter season where Mercedes have been so dominant, God, it's as good as winning the championship for me in the car he's in. And especially when mm. you consider he hasn't got exactly the wingman that Lewis has to support him. Because out on track, Bottas might give him a slipstream and things like that. Thank you. That's my point. Clearly, you just said it. Verstappen Mm. doesn't have the wingman. But... You know, and Matt, we can't argue with that. Was, Albon was like 20-odd seconds down the road today. <laughs> yeah, okay. that's true. Okay, so Verstappen in a Mercedes, and you've got a heck of a title fight for number one. I, d- I dare say Max wins it. I, I dare don't make my view known. I, I we know genuinely believe Max would win it. So do I. So do I. I and think I it would be very, it. very tight. I think he I will think. be the next world champion after Lewis, put it that way. 100%. If he's given the car, 100%. But then you know what's going to happen. Someone like bloody, uh, I don't know, Giovinazzi will end up in a Mercedes and just, oh. just, just or, or, or Russell will go to Mercedes and he won't be challenging. Or I think we know, we know that Mercedes want a number two, not a number one. Not and a, Botas yeah, is a number, number two. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. But here's here's sorry, another Cal. question. Sorry. Who is the number one driver at Mercedes after Lewis Hamilton? George Russell. Well, I think, it, yeah, it is, isn't it? It's got to be, hasn't it? Who else on the grid do you choose? Think how much that seat is valued. Oh, oh. can you imagine being an F1 driver and that comes up? Oh. Mm. Um, but hopefully at 2022, it's, uh, it's not going to be that valuable anymore. Let's hope so. I hope so. 
don't I'd love to see it where it's week on week. I don't know. A McLaren winning the race. The week after, a Williams winning the race. The week after that, a Ferrari winning the race. Like, it could be so different. It, obviously, engines are going to have a big say in it because the aerodynamics and stuff like that, there's not going to be that much leeway, I shouldn't imagine. Because mm-hmm. the cars can follow each other so closely, meaning that engine power is going to be very significant. Uh, I look forward to like 2022, like possibly the 2008 F1 World Championship where we had so many different winners, so many unexpected outcomes. Uh, that's kind of what I'm hoping we see happen. Totally agree. Um, we've got to wrap it up for this week, but I think we've got um, we've got some opportunity over the Christmas period to really get into into some history of F1, um, talk about different seasons, talk about the greatest moments that actually there's no time to talk about at the moment because it's been a mental season. I just want to say thank you for a great review that we got on Apple Podcasts this week. Um, it means a lot and it really helps us connect with F1 audiences. Um, it's from Victoria, uh, one, of our, one of our top fans on Facebook, I do believe. Um, have you guys seen it, by the way? I, I saw have. it. I replied with a GIF comment, a saluting Donald Duck. She saw it. She liked it. She knows. Good. Good. Well, thank you. And I, I will read out what she said because well, it's nice, isn't it? Um, she said it's a must for F1 fans. It's informative. It's entertaining. We try. Uh, and she's given us massive credit. And she really enjoyed the Red Bull episode where we did a bit of a deep dive um, into the history of things. Um, so thank you for that. And please do jump on your podcast uh, app of choice and do the same. Thank you so much for listening. Um, we hope you have enjoyed the show. And I just personally want to sign off by just saying thank God Grosjean is okay. Um, and uh, the F1 fans across the world will breathe a sigh of relief from that. So, um, Matt, over to you. Uh, thank you once again for listening to the Cut to the Race podcast by the Formula E. And, uh, yeah, you know, in yeah. the wake of the uh, incidents on track and in my own personal life this weekend, uh, love your loved ones. Give them a hug. Love your four-leggeds as well. Uh, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And I hope Roman grows on a very speedy recovery. Thank you, Matt. And Callum, last but not least, my yawning colleague. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Make sure you visit formulanerds.com forward slash shop and have a look at our merch range. They are very good Christmas stocking fillers. So make sure you have a look this week. And I just want to echo what Ollie and Matt have said. Speedy recovery for Grosjean. It was a horrific incident. We probably won't ever see anything quite like that again. Hopefully not anyway. Hopefully. Yeah, it's a speedy recovery for him. And if that was his last race... Thank you for everything he's done. He's been a brilliant asset to Formula One to watch and enjoy over the years. Indeed. Uh, Well said, Cal. We'll see you next week. So lap two, it it also depends on... Sorry, restart two. Sorry, restart one. Fucking hell. So the second restart... No, it's not the first second restart, is it? This is going well tonight. What is it? it? First restart, second restart? It's the first restart. First restart, yeah. First restart, second start. Yeah. So when we restarted the race um, after that 20 seconds of uh, racing that we had, um, another accident happened on lap one again, um, not far from the first one. Unfortunately, it wasn't as bad. Sorry, was it lap one or lap two? Fuck's sake. Lap two, I think. Pretty sure you just said, unfortunately, it wasn't as bad as well. So just reset that if I were you. Shortly after the restart. Go with that. 
Oh, I've read it all wrong. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm going to go and fuck a Brexit out. Oh, lovely. Um, maybe now is not the time for my terrible <laughs> that's Boris, in Boris Johnson impression. <laughs> clip that. Somebody clip that. Oh, dear. Yeah.